Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. This is our Bible reading for today. It comes from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Thanks, Hilary, for that reading. So as I mentioned earlier, today we're starting a, a new series called Meeting God on the Mountain. And in this series we're going to look at, uh, over the next few weeks, what took place when God met uh, with his people on Mount Sinai after leaving Egypt. In this series, we'll look at how God actually prepared the Israelites uh, to become his special people for the purpose that he had for them uh, in representing him to the nations around them. This is a challenge because up until this point in, in Israel's history, uh, Israel's engagement with God really could be described as one of having mere interest in God uh, rather than actually having a commitment to him and his purposes. But here, uh, at this point on their journey, after being rescued from Egypt, God makes them stop at the foot of uh, this mountain in order to meet with them and to call them to make a commitment to him. You know, there's a big difference between being interested in something and actually being committed to it. Interest implies being attracted to something, but generally as long as it's convenient to you, whereas commitment on the other hand, implies a sort of binding relationship to something or someone, and this relationship or this binding continues even uh, when times are tough or when things are difficult. Uh, God is completely committed to Israel, and he has been for their entire existence. And now in order for them to experience God fully and for them to be a community that he intends to, uh, them to be, they need to make a commitment to him. God's call to commitment really ramps up here in the book of Exodus in chapter 19. And uh, it's actually the place in the story of Israel that really marks the turning point in their life. And actually where they go from here, in many ways, is determined by how they respond to God at this point, to his call to make a commitment to, them, to him. Many of us are actually quite familiar with the story of Exodus. We've either read it ourselves or we've actually seen it uh, portrayed in one of the many films that have been made about it, including uh, this, the, uh, the uh, Prince of Egypt, 
which I'm sure many of you have seen. So there's actually a backstory though to today's reading. And uh, what, what it is is that 400 years earlier there was a famine in the whole region of, uh, of the Middle East there, which caused Jacob and all of his sons to actually have to uh, flee with their, with their wives and go down to Egypt just to survive. They end up staying not just so for a few months, which I imagine they expected, but they ended up staying 400 years. And in that time, their numbers actually began to increase. They, they started off as a small tribe or clan, and they grew into this massive nation. And uh, they became so large, and in fact, the pharaoh of Egypt, the leader of Egypt, became really afraid of them. And uh, because of that, he made them his slaves. And he forced them to do things to keep them under control. He made them make bricks and build cities for him. And because of their slave status, they had no rights and, and they were often abused. And because of this, they cried out to God. Pharaoh even ordered that all the newborn males in, uh, in, uh, of, the Egyptian, of the Hebrews should be killed shortly after birth to slow down their birth rate. And he actually told the midwives that this is what they should do, but, but uh, they disobeyed Pharaoh and allowed many of these babies to live, including Moses. Moses was one of these babies that were allowed to survive and uh, he ended up being adopted and in a strange uh, twist of God's providence, he was actually adopted by, by Pharaoh's own daughter. And so because of this adoption he, uh, into, by Pharaoh's daughter, he grew up in Pharaoh's own household. And uh, in time, as he grew up, he discovered that he was not in fact an Egyptian, but was, was actually a Hebrew. And uh, this actually then um, impacted his life, and because of that he tried to help his own people. But he tried to help in a way that would, was using his own strength and his own power, uh, which failed. And uh, in the end he had to flee from Egypt after killing someone and had to go and live in the land of Midian to save his own life. But after some time, God met with Moses and uh, he appeared to Moses. He appeared in this burning bush and called Moses uh, to go back and to talk to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh that he wanted to, he needed to let his people go free. And so Moses, after much complaining, uh, did what he was told and he went back. But Moses, but Pharaoh refused uh, the many miraculous signs that uh, God did through Moses. And each of these signs was actually ten of them. They were more devastating than the one previous to it. But in the end, the final sign was the one that convinced him. This was when God sent his angel through the land and this angel passed through and killed all the firstborn sons of, uh, of the Egyptians and allowed the Hebrew babies to remain alive. And after this, the Pharaoh allowed the, uh, the Hebrews to leave and they left, taking with them many possessions. And they went out and they came to this Red Sea. And this is quite a dramatic part of the story, even in the, in the movie, the, Pharaoh, the Prince of Egypt. Uh, God causes the sea to part and the Israelites move through on dry ground. And then God leads them further on using a pillar of fire at night and cloud, a pillar of cloud in the day to lead them onto this place where they currently are in the story. 
at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is where today's reading is actually set. So in the passage that we heard Hilary read earlier this morning, I just want to focus on on a short section of that. And it says this in verse 4 of chapter 19. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the, although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So up until this point in the story, or in uh, Israel's sort of life, what we can say is that Israel were interested in God, but not really committed to him. They listened to him and they followed him as long as he gave them what they wanted. But their interest waned when things didn't go their way and when they faced hardship. Even on that short journey out of Egypt, which was really only a few months, they had grumbled and moaned so many times. Sometimes they even, they even told Moses that they'd actually prefer to go back to slavery in Egypt than to go one more step further with him. And this is so despite them seeing God perform these tremendous miracles right in front of them. They experienced the parting of the Red Sea. They experienced this huge pillar of fire at night and this pillar of cloud in the day. God even gave them takeaway food on the journey. Can you imagine? I thought that would be the clincher. They got manna and quail. But even though they got these things, God did all these things. They moaned and were constantly really on the verge of falling apart, having a tantrum on their journey. In many ways, I think these, these actually attitudes and their actions show that they were interested in God, but they were not really committed to him and not committed to his purposes. God knows, however, that for Israel's journey ahead, mere interest in him won't be enough. They need to, be, they need to actually make a commitment to him so that he can form them into, uh, them into the nation that he wants them to be and that he needs them to be uh, because he wants them to be a light to the nations a nation that would actually bring glory to him and bring other nations to worshipping God as well. So here at the foot of the mountain, God meets with Israel and uh, he calls them to make a commitment to him. And there are several reasons why God calls the Israelites to make a commitment to him. And I believe that these, uh, these reasons are, the, are also things that we can learn from today as a church as God wants to form us into his people for his purposes in the community around Mooney Ponds and beyond. The first reason that God called the Israelites to make a commitment to him is because of what he has already done for them. Because of what he's already done for them. The journey out of Egypt 
as I mentioned, was only three months old. But the Israelites had seemingly forgotten already how they actually got out of Egypt. Their deliverance wasn't because of their own cunning. It wasn't because of their own strength in battle against the Egyptians. Not at all. It was because God carried them out. They contributed nothing to their own deliverance or to their own salvation. In fact, the Bible says right here in this passage that God carried them out in the same way that like an an eagle swoops down and carries its chicks to safety. The image is of this eagle. It's meant to actually show that God is the one who takes the initiative. Uh, He's the one who cares. Uh, He's strong and decisive uh, and is the one who gives protection. In Deuteronomy 32.11, the writer says, God is like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. God was actively involved in delivering his people and taking them out of harm's way as an eagle does in caring for its own chicks. God took the initiative to rescue Israel because he's actually always been committed to them and their welfare. His commitment isn't passive. It's not an, an arm's length sort of commitment. It's actually active and intimate. But God wants the Israelites here to remember that his commitment goes back further than just the past three months. He wants to remind them that, in fact, he's always been committed to them. In Exodus chapter 2, uh, verse 24 and 25, it says that, that actually God heard their groanings and he remembered what he had promised years before to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God had made a promise hundreds of years before the Exodus event that he would actually deliver his people out of slavery. In uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, God said to Abraham, Know for certain that 400 years, sorry, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Even on the mountain, or even at the mountain around which they are now camped, this is also a symbol of God's commitment to them. This is not just any mountain. They didn't just go camping and say, oh, here's a mountain. God actually led them to this specific mountain. And the mountain they're camped around is a special mountain because it's actually the place where God first appeared to Moses when he called him to go and do the task uh, of uh, setting his people free from, uh, from their slavery. And so as a sign to show Moses that it was indeed he, God, who was actually talking to him and to prove that he, he wasn't just experiencing some sort of hallucination, it wasn't just heat stroke, uh, God promised there and then, speaking out of the burning bush on the side of the mountain, that after delivering Israel from Egypt, that they would all come back and worship God on that very mountain. This means that God's call to Israel to commit to him is based firstly on his commitment to them. 
It's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps call to commitment to God that relies upon your own strength, your own strength and your own resolve. What God is saying here to Israel is, commit to me, not so that I will bless you, or so that I will rescue you, or so that I will redeem you. God has actually already blessed them. He's already rescued them. He's already redeemed them. And his rescue is proof of his total commitment and his great love for them. This is how God operates. He says, I have completely accepted you. I, have, uh, I am completely committed to you. This is what I have done for you. Now, I want you to be committed to me. Every other religion on the planet, every human heart, works on the opposite principle to what God has done here. Every other religion says, if I do right, if I live right, then I will be accepted by my God. Then I'll be blessed. Then I'll be rescued. Then I'll be redeemed. But what God is saying here to Israel is radically different. And in many ways, it's counterintuitive to the religious mind. God is saying to the Israelites and to us, I believe, this morning that I've carried you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I've pulled you out of the miry pit and I have redeemed you. And I am the one who has always been committed to you. Now I want you to commit to me. How would you describe your relationship with God this morning? Is it one of mere interest? Or would you say that you're committed to God and to his call upon your life? It's always good to answer honestly when considering your relationship with God. Other relationships we might be able to fudge, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I'm committed, yeah. I'm committed to the, to the game, to the club. But both you and God know what your relationship is like. You can't fudge it with God. If you are honest in your answer this morning and you, honor, and you answer honestly that really you're only, you believe that you're, you only have a mere interest and that you're not committed to God, then this might be because you believe that perhaps God is only merely interested in you and not fully committed to you as he really is. If you don't grasp how much God is interested in you, then it's very difficult for you to commit to him and to trust him for what he wants to do in you and through you and also through us as a community of faith. Like the Israelites, we... I believe we have a journey ahead of us. And on this journey, God wants to transform us and to make us into a radical community that will display his glory to the people who live around us. And this is a journey, it's very demanding. It will be tough and it requires mutual commitment. Therefore, a key aspect of us being able to fulfil our role as God's people in this community is to be committed to God and to his purposes. And the reason 
that we should agree to this, that we should commit to God, is because of uh, the commitment that he's shown to Israel and that this commitment also is one that he continues on and makes to us today. The second reason that Israel are called to make a commitment to God is because of what God wants to make uh, them. Because of what God wants to make them. The Israelites, they'd been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. uh, And some of this heritage of living actually in Egypt had begun, had really rubbed off on them. And uh, it was actually on display as they left, left Egypt. They grumbled and they complained. They really only half trusted Moses and they doubted God. Uh, They had been influenced by Egypt and by the Egyptians more than they really cared to believe. In fact, in just a few chapters' time, if you read on, you'll read that they actually uh, made a golden idol of a calf and then began to dance around it and worship worship it in place of God. And they did this while Moses is actually up on the mountain chatting with God, talking to God, receiving the law from him. So therefore, God's call to Israel is a call to commit to him, but it's also, uh, it's also because he wants to make them, it's also because of what he wants to make them. God doesn't uh, just call people to follow him without transforming them as well. He's about the deeper work of transforming people. And ultimately, God is making all things new, including the people that he calls into relationship with him. God is at work restoring everything that was broken at the fall in the Garden of Eden, including uh, people's broken relationship with God, uh, their broken relationship with themselves, with others, and also the created order. When Wendy and I went to work amongst the Yao in Malawi, one of the things that we noticed early on was that, uh, that in many ways the Yao really struggled to believe that actually God is really good. This, is, this was because of their cultural and religious experience, their heritage. In fact, their own worldview was such that, uh, that many Yao they actually believed that there was only limited good in the world, only limited good available. Uh, and so they believed that there was, um, that uh, when they received something, the only way to receive something good, whether it was wealth or, uh, or good crops or possessions, the only way to receive a good thing was actually to take it from someone else because it was only in limited supply. And so this is what they tried to do. They would offer, not through open fighting, but they would, uh, through the practice of sorcery and witchcraft and through the use of charms and magic, they would try to, to, uh, to bring goodness on themselves. And one of the ways that God began to transform the Yao people when they came to become followers of Jesus was through changing their understanding of God's goodness. They came to see that God is good all of the time and that his goodness is not in short supply and that God is not stingy and that his resources are unlimited. God wants to transform Israel and to to reshape their view of him and to turn uh, and shape other nations 
as well through them seeing his relationship with Israel. In many ways, God's work had already started in Israel in that he had already committed to them and had made them his treasured possession, which is why he'd gone to so much effort in order to rescue them from Egypt. He wanted his possession back. But God had further work to do through Israel as he wanted to make them also his kingdom of priests and his holy nation for his own purposes. And so let's look at these two briefly. God's call to Israel to commit to him is because he wants to make them into a holy nation. And so the word holy uh, here means to be distinct. God is therefore saying he wants to make Israel into this radically different and distinct community that will stand out from the other nations around them. The way that God will do this is by giving Israel his laws. And when they follow them, They'll, it will radically change the way that they live together, the way that they relate to God, uh, the way that they, they actually relate to the nations around them. Being a distinct community, a holy nation will actually affect every aspect of their lives, including their economic life, their family life, their sex life, their gender relationships, their power dynamics. In fact, nothing is outside of God's influence. When we see how God made Israel into a distinct holy community, we can see how he, God made Israel into a distinct holy community through some of the laws he made for them and how radically these, trans, these laws actually transformed their society. But it wasn't in a prudish way, but in a way that made them free and fair and generous. For example, the Israelites became the first community in history in which adultery was not just considered a sin of women, but also a sin of men. Israel also became the first nation in which daughters and sons could both actually inherit the, uh, the wealth of their, their families. The laws of tithing that God institutes or, or gives them that were established by God meant that Israel were to give 10% of their wealth away each year to support the poor, to support the widows, the orphans, uh, the lame, and also to support their priests who serve them. And that sounds quite radical for its time. There was nothing else like it. But God uh, wanted Israel to, to do even more, and he wanted them to be all, even more radically different. And he instituted that, that, uh, that they should give more than 10%. In fact, every three years, the Israelites were told that they needed to make additional offerings, which meant in actual fact that they were giving more than 20% of their wealth away each year to social concerns. Doesn't that sound like radical generosity and the making of a radical community to you? What do you think our social services in this country are based upon? They're based upon... Judo Christian, our Judo Christian heritage and the radical community that God was actually establishing there at Mount Sinai. It's radical and unmatched by any nation or any religion. Even aliens, even migrants, people who are foreigners who came to live amongst the Israelites, 
they were meant to be considered by this new radical community. They weren't to be shunned or neglected. God told Israel that they were to give to the foreigners who lived amongst them the same rights as the Hebrews themselves. If you were living amongst the Hebrews today and there was a COVID crisis, they would get JobKeeper. They would get support. That's how radical the community that God was making was meant to be. God wanted to make Israel into a radical worshipping community in his own character, with his own values, not a community that was aloof or prudish or that was only known for, for those who they don't accept or what they don't do. God intended for them to be a radical community for their own well-being, but also so that they could declare God's glory to the nations around them. The other role that God intended for Israel was for them to be a kingdom of priests. A priest, as we know, is someone who stands between people and and their God, someone who explains the things of God to the people. They mediate between God and point the way to him, articulate what God wants. And so what God's saying here when when he calls Israel a kingdom of priests is he actually wants to make the whole community every member into, uh, into mediators between him and the nations around them. So this means that Israel are, are not only meant to be just and generous and to, and to live lives that honour God and, and people in every way, they're also meant to be the means by which other nations encounter God and which shows uh, God's own heart to the nations around that he desires to be in relationship with them as well. This then leads us to see that God has a greater purpose for Israel than just being his, uh, his private treasured possession, something that he just looks at in private. No, that's not what he intended them to be at all. They, they are being made into this kingdom of priests, this holy nation, because God actually wants to draw other nations to himself through them, which is the third reason why he calls them to commit to him. He, commit, he calls Israel to make a commitment to him because of what he wants to do through them. God has always intended for his people to play a role in drawing the the nations to himself. He does this by showing the nations how he cares for Israel. They meant to go, wow, this God really cares. He also wanted to draw the nations to himself by showing off his people how how radically different their lives were and uh, by by, by, uh, displaying his character and his values. Wow, they, they do those things. They care for the poor. They, they treat men and women the same. They, uh, they respect people. They treat foreigners like they treat themselves. But finally, he would draw the nations to himself through the invitation offered by his own people who would work as priests and mediators to the nations around them, declaring God to them. God first mentioned this plan to Abraham, their ancestor, whom he promised to make a blessing to the nations. God also um, 
reminded Israel through, throughout their history of what he wanted to do through them. They were to be a light to the nations. And in Psalm 96 verses 3 and 4, they are told to declare God's glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. Unfortunately, as we know, if we've read the scriptures, Israel were not really able to ever fulfil or fully live up to this role of being a light to the nations, of declaring God's glory in a way that uh, would draw those nations to God. Their actions, in fact, often had the opposite effect in repelling the nations. It's not that God's plan failed, but more that God was waiting until he would send his true servant who could perfectly fulfil these roles and who has the ability to form a new community, a new Israel, who would be a distinct and radical community in his character and who would actually have his spirit in them so that they, that, so that they would have the power that they needed to be all that God wanted them to be. What God wanted to do through Israel actually comes into being in two ways in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Jesus is actually the fulfilment of God's intentions for Israel. He's God's treasure. He's the king who is establishing God's kingdom on earth. He's also the priest who work, whose work actually mediate, who does, whose work actually does mediate a new day and a new agreement for all people with God by giving himself as a sacrifice. In Luke uh, 32, or Luke 2, 32 rather, Simeon the priest, an old man, an old priest who'd been waiting for the Messiah, he recognises Jesus as the light that had been promised to the Gentiles when Jesus is actually presented by his parents to God there in the temple as a baby. You see, Jesus is able to play all of those roles for the reasons that Israel never could. He was committed in every way to his Father in heaven. And this is what God is calling us to be today as well. Secondly, Jesus was able to fulfil what God wants to do through Israel by forming a new community, a new community in his own name who would fulfil the role intended for Israel and who would actually have the power to follow through and be able to commit to God. In 1 Peter uh, 2.9, Peter says that the special nation status that was assigned to Israel at Mount Sinai has actually become the status of Jesus' followers today. It's, been, it's become the status of the church. He tells the followers of Jesus, he says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
And the way that the church is a light to the nations today is by living out these sort of radical kingdom values of Jesus in front of our neighbours, in front of our friends and in front of our relatives and by declaring what God has done for us in Christ to reconcile us to God and to declare that our motives in doing that, in what we do, in how we live and the power, the power uh, to, to live this way, to live out these values is only because of the Holy Spirit within us and not because of our own strength. God called Israel to make a commitment to him at the foot of a mountain on the Sinai Peninsula all those years ago, declaring to them who he intended them to be. But it's actually at the foot of another mountain, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, that we are truly able to make the commitment to God that he is looking for because of what Christ has done and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit whom God gives us. Today, the call to commitment is still there. It is firstly a call to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord of your life. This is not just about coming to church on Sunday or trying to live a respectable life. It's about surrendering your will, your desires, in fact, your entire life to Jesus. It's a big call. It's not a thing to take lightly. The Israelites said yes, they would commit to God, but they had little power to keep their promise. Jesus, though, is calling you today to commit to following him And when you do, he will give you everything you need to keep that commitment. You might have been coming to this church for many years, but you know in your heart that you are not really committed to God. You're committed to other things, to the the life of the church perhaps. You recognise Jesus as a good man with good moral teachings, but you are yet to experience him as Lord of your life. You are yet to fully be committed to Jesus. Today God is calling you to commit and to surrender your life to him and to accept what he's done uh, in and through Jesus and to call him Lord. For others here this morning, you know Jesus, but you have been reluctant to, to fully commit to him. You might attend church, you might give your offering each week, but today Jesus is saying, I want all of you because I deserve all of you. Your step of commitment might be to make a commitment to serve God in ways that he directs you. Being only interested in God leads to having a consumer mentality which means that we follow Jesus, we attend church, we serve in ministries only when there is something in it for us. But Jesus is calling his people, his community to commit to serve because there is actually something in it for him. He wants us to be a light to the nations and we can't be that if we are not committed to him.
and if we're only committed to our, ourselves. Jesus might be calling you to make a commitment to prayer. Instead of just praying when you have a need, he might be calling you this morning to become a committed prayer partner, engaging with him in, in, in any and every way. Jesus' call to commitment this morning also might be a commitment to surrender your finances to God. These are difficult times, I know, and these are challenging times. But it might be a call to be more generous. It might be a call to, to generously support the ministry of this church so that we can more effectively engage with the community around us so that others can also experience the light, the love and the hope of God. Finally this morning, you may, be, you may have been coming to this church since you can't remember. But you've never taken the step to be baptised or you've never taken the step to fully join and become a member of this community, to throw, to throw in your lot with this community. Today Jesus invites you to throw your lot in with him and also with us in the work that he has for us to do in Mooney Ponds and beyond. In many ways, you've been interested in God, but not committed. Today, today is the day that God is calling you to trust him and the day to take that step and to commit to his body, the church, and to declare him to the people around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for, uh, for what you did uh, in Israel, in that nation, that you, you rescued them. You drew them out of their slavery, out of that miry pit they were in, and formed them, in, formed them into a people who, uh, who were radically different and who were meant to serve you and declare you to the nations. Lord, we know their struggles. Uh, we know their pain. We know their failures. Many of them are ours or have been. But we thank you for Jesus who enables us to be all that you intended Israel to be. We thank you today that you offer us uh, the Holy Spirit or you fill us with your spirit so that we can be your people. Help us, Lord God, to commit to you. Help us to reflect and to think about, uh, about our own relationship with you, whether it's of mere interest or whether it's of a commitment that you call us to be, uh, that you call us to make to you. Help us today to hear your voice and to, to respond and to step into the relationship further that you have for us. Help, help us to take away, take away the fear from us and give us courage to trust you in faith. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.